Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Those who compare themselves with one another aren't wise. So be wise and don't compare. It's not how am I doing compared to him or how am I doing compared to her or them? No, it's just, am I serving? Because the Lord's gonna say, well done, good and faithful what? Servant, yeah, we know. We're expecting to hear that in heaven. I wonder if it will sound right if we've never served. Happy Valentine's Day. Welcome to a new two-part study from Pastor Sam entitled, A New Commandment. We're gonna be looking at John chapter 13 in its entirety. We will be considering the Last Supper as it was recorded by the Apostle John. So let's listen in. Most of you are aware that there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of those four. Luke wrote the third, Dr. Luke we know him as. He also wrote a sequel, it's the book of Acts. And when he wrote it, he said this, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all Jesus began to do and teach. The very beginning of the book of Acts is a declaration of Jesus' methodology and lifestyle. He was a doer first and a teacher second. He never asked anyone to do something he hadn't first demonstrated to them. James will later write, exhort us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And every teacher must first be an example and then teach the things that, well, go with the example. So important, some of you will say, well, whew, I'm off the hook, I'm not a teacher. If you're a parent, you're a teacher. If you're a big brother or sister, physically or spiritually, you're a teacher. If you're the mature one in your relationships, you're a teacher. So we're all teaching, and we do it best by example, if our example is a good one. Well, what we see here is Jesus sets an example. Then he will ultimately uh, explain what he's doing all that for and, and the end game of it. And having set an example, he will exhort us to be doers, to be followers, to do what he had already done and demonstrated. Well, it starts here in John 13, 1, before the feast of the Passover. And this will be the last Passover Jesus celebrates with his disciples. When Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So the time frame, the Passover. The time was running out, his hour had come, and he often said, my time has not yet come, my hour has not yet come, but now he's saying it, hey, the hour is here. The hour of what? His departure from this world. He's about to make his exodus, and in doing so, he will lead those who follow him out of lives of bondage to self and sin. So, he knew, by the way, and it's so important that we get these and, and try to process what they mean to us. Jesus knew where he was from 
He came from the Father. He said it over and over in John 6. He said, I came down from heaven to do the will of the Father who sent me. He knew why he came, because we were dead in trespasses and sin. We were lost forever without him. He came to give his life so that we could live. And then he knew what he came to do and that he'd be returning to the Father after. He knows on the other side of the cross, well, there'll be a resurrection. But that doesn't make the suffering or the shame or the pain that he endured any lighter. To tell someone, well, you know, it's all going to be fine in the end. Yeah, but I'm not living in the end. I'm living right now. And if you're hurting, you're hurting. If you're suffering, you're suffering. So we, we don't want to just be the Christian version of a Hallmark card, just saying nice things to people who are suffering. We want to give them real hope. The suffering will come to an end. All things come to an end. And God will get you through it. Will it hurt less? Probably not. Will it end soon? Who knows? But the, the, the point is simply this. Jesus knew what we need to know. So many today are ignorant of the fact that we were created by him and for him. This creates a void that leads to a radical identity crisis. Because if I don't know I was made by and for God, then why am I here? How did I get here? What am I here for? And then, of course, well, what's going to happen after this? We'll deal with all those issues in future studies, in John's gospel even. But, but today, the most important thing before we move on back into verses two through five is to realize that ignorance of absolutes, like we're created beings, we were created by and for God, there is life now in him and life everlasting in him. If we don't know those things, well, we're, we're gonna just live a life without purpose, always looking for direction, always looking for, well, 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 what's the meaning of this? The philosophers debated and discussed it. The psychologists analyzed the philosophers. But we want to make sure that we're just getting what God has for us. Well, we read it. Supper ended. And the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knew what was about to happen. And this is so important. He, he knew what Judas was going to do. But up to this point, Judas has been a free agent. And just a little bit further in, Judas seals his fate forever. He was listening to the enemy. He was working for the enemy. He was the accuser of the brethren. We saw it with Mary lavishing her love sacrificially upon Jesus. And he's like, why this waste? This could have been sold in 300 denarii, almost a year's wages, the money given to the poor. He accused her but her heart was pure. Her sacrifice was acceptable. And he was just playing a game, playing a part, posing as someone who loved the Lord and loved people and neither were in fact the case. Well, Jesus, knowing what was just ahead, did what no one else at the table would ever have thought to do. He took off his outer garments. He clothed himself with a, a, a towel and, and girded himself. And we know Jesus didn't just appear as a servant. He didn't just appear like the angels he sent in the Old Testament. He truly became one of us, born miraculously. He grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man, the same way we grow. Jesus was truly man and truly God. And so he is going to take a final opportunity here to teach his disciples the importance of serving 
So he first dresses as a servant. After that, we read it. He poured water in the basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Listen, he wasn't acting like a servant or posing as a servant. Jesus was, is, and will always be a servant. And if you go back through the four gospels and it's always highly recommended, over and over he tried to teach them. He told them the greatest in God's kingdom is the servant of all. And they're like, greatest? Yeah, I want to be great. But they didn't hear the servant part. They just heard the part they wanted to hear. So he's not just demonstrating servanthood. He is a servant doing what servants do. Well, he comes to Simon Peter, verses 6 through 11. And whenever you have Jesus and Peter, it's fun for everyone except Jesus. Because it says, he came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? The you and my are emphatic in the original Greek. Why is that important? Because it is a rare display of humility. It is a rare display of clarity. He's saying, in essence, Lord, this isn't right. He doesn't say, though, as John the Baptist did when Jesus came to be baptized by him, I should be baptized by you. That's what John said. Peter says, you shouldn't be washing my feet. But he doesn't offer to wash Jesus' feet. So that's because Peter hasn't really processed, though he'd gotten the memo, he'd never put it together, that when Jesus called them to be servants, he meant servants. And the servant, well, in this case, takes the lowest job of a household servant. In those days, if you had money, you'd have multiple servants. Do you know I actually lived in the Philippine Islands at six years old and we had servants. We lived on an Air Force base and, and you had to have servants because there were so many impoverished people that, well, you were, you were ministering to them by giving them work. We weren't demeaning them or thinking less of them. We were grateful for them. I'll always remember those days. And, and, and the point is, Jesus doesn't say, well, you know, serving, it's not some kind of punishment. It's an opportunity to just care for other people practically. That's exactly what he's doing here. Peter just says, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing now, you do not understand, but you will know after this. Now, they clearly understood he was washing their feet, so he means something more than that. He's saying, you're not really yet processing the spiritual nature of what I'm doing and what I'm trying to teach you through it, but you will ultimately understand. Peter says to him, you shall never wash my feet. You gotta love Peter. No one was ever more self-assured than he. You will never, no, not ever, one of the translations says, wash my feet. And Jesus just basically says, I do this or we're done. And then, of course, Jesus answered, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon wanting to control the narrative. Some of you know what I'm talking about in that. I'm a person that likes to control where I go and what I do and how it all plays out. Pam's very much like that too, which makes for an interesting dynamic. Someone has to give. And, and I've always thought it should be her, but the Lord keeps saying, no, it's supposed to be you. But how can I lead unless I lead? You can lead by serving your wife. I'm like, I don't like this conversation, Lord. <laughs> so anyway, Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. And, and Peter says... Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. He's just saying, 
Lord, let's negotiate this out. Or, or you know what? Okay, if you're going to do it, then here's how you're going to do it. First, you can't tell the Lord. Well, you can, but you should never tell the Lord. No way, Lord. And then you shouldn't tell the Lord, well, here's how, what I'll allow or here how, here's how I want you to go about it. Servants don't negotiate with their masters for how they're going to serve. We're to serve as God directs us and instructs us. And, and Paul, when he's, well, he was Saul, converted on the Damascus road, he asked two questions. Who are you, Lord? Because you want to make sure you got the right guy. And once he knew it was Jesus whom he was persecuting, he said, what do you want me to do? That's a question every new believer needs to ask. That's a question every mature believer needs to ask. That's a question we should be asking at the end of this service because we're going to get a lot of really good information from a perfect example. But if we don't say, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? Then, well, we're capable of leaving here knowing more than we knew before, but not changed at all. One thing I'm certain he wants us to do is process these things and then just say, okay, Lord, what's next? What do you have for me? What do you have for us, for our family, for our fellowship? Well, Jesus said he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. First, how are they cleansed? Through the washing of the water of the word. Ultimately, he will cleanse them through the blood he sheds for them. And we need to remember that both are available to us at all times. When we confess our sin, and I often share this verse, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But it's his blood, John goes on to say in 1 John, that cleanses us. His blood cleanses us continually, not once, but over and over and over. And the word of God, every time I'm in it, it washes me. I hear people say, you know, the word was a little dry today. I've heard that about toast too. Put some butter on it. But the, the point is the word's always good. I will confess I could get a little boring. I know, I know you're saying no, no, never. You can be honest, I know but I'm not always boring and the word's always good. So if you have any trouble with me, you're going to have even more trouble because I've heard my peers. And, uh, and here's what I'm saying is that you need to realize that the word is washing you, cleansing you, nourishing you, even if you don't realize, well, even if you don't feel any different or think any different immediately, he's planting seed in your mind and heart. You're cleansed by the washing of the word, nourished by the washing of the word. When I eat a meal, Sometimes I'm stuffed, sometimes I'm not full, but I do know there's nourishment in the meal. So I always eat. And when it comes to the word of God, well, this is not just going to wash us and feed us. It's going to direct us, transform us. So he says, I know you're not all clean for he knew who would betray him. Well, verse 12, we see his example, an explanation and an exhortation. When he had washed their feet, he'd taken his garments and sat down again. He said to them, do you know what I have done to you? We know it's a rhetorical question because he doesn't give them time to answer. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent them. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Old King James, blessed are you. It's happy are you if you do them. Well, 
There are always extremists among us and we're capable of being like that ourselves. And so I wanna say that, that when I picture the word of God, I picture it as a beautiful river. And, and if you've ever done any river rafting, there are really nice pools and you just kind of float and cruise and you can worship and just thank God for the beauty. And then you hear a noise and you're like, oh, here it comes and there's the rapids and you're hoping not a waterfall. If you planned well, not a waterfall, but you're going downstream the whole time and you're right in the flow of, of, of well, where you should be. On either bank, there are people who are watching you. Some are critical of you, some are cheering you on, but neither of them are going anywhere. When it comes to legalism and liberalism, the legalist is over here accusing you of not doing it right. The liberal's over there saying, you could have so much more fun like this. And, uh, but the flow is in the river, it's in the spirit. It's going down the road or down the stream that the Lord has laid out for you. Why do I share that? Because people sometimes get hung up on the example and they miss the intended spiritual lesson. Foot washing services are rare today for a variety of reasons, but the most common is simply we wear shoes around here. And while we may not want you to see our feet, we do know if I announced Wednesday night foot washing service at Calvary Chico, every woman would be getting a pedicure between now and Wednesday, and every guy would have to work late. Why? Because we really don't want to do something like that. It's foreign to us. It's odd to us. So some say, well, then we have to do it. That's how we show we're servants. We obey him. But he said, you don't understand what I'm doing. I'll tell you in a minute, he says. And then he tells them, what I've done to you, I want you to do to one another. What had he done? He'd taken the lowest place of the lowest servant and met a very common need. We have opportunity to do that every single day. And, and I want to say it's, it's like serving, it's not a mystery. The mystery is why we're not more comfortable doing it. It's one of the few things we're guaranteed success in. If you see a need and you serve, God's going to bless that service. It's going to open some doors as well. I love it that my grandkids are starting to say things that, well, I got to I, I'll be honest, and I'm ashamed to say, I rarely say around the house, and that is, is there anything else you'd like me to do, dear? But they're starting to say it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so cool to hear. And Pam looks at me and winks. She's like, it's cooler to do. And so, uh, true story. Last night, I, I leave for church. Boys have been with us for a whole week. Folks have been out of town. And, and, and I come home, and they're vacuuming, and they're vacuuming the stairs. Those are hard. And then they're vacuuming their room, and I'm like, hey, boys, our room's down there, you know? And like, but, but the point I'm making, and I want to go too far, you know, down that rabbit trail. The point I'm making is that, that we can get hung up on the, the, the example and say, well, we got to wash feet. Jesus said, wash feet. No, he said, do what I've done to you. And that's serve and take that service um, seriously. The other thing, another reason, well, there are other, many others, but why we don't do foot washings uh, is, is because, well, when we sit at a table, we're, we usually sit with our shoes on and we sit with our feet on the floor. And, and when they sat, they reclined at a U-shaped table that was only about a foot and a half to two feet high. So, so it was not just possible, but probable that because of the way the table's configured and in the way you would lean on one elbow, you'd eat with the other hand. So you could lean this way and, and converse with this guy. You could lean that way. But one way or another, your feet are going the other direction. And so people were eating and there were dirty feet at the table. Um, 
I don't have to say, that's like gross, you know? And I'm sure it was gross to Jesus, but even more troubling that not one of them was willing to do what only he was willing to do. And that's say, hey, we really need to get our feet cleaned here. Fellas, come on over, let me wash your feet. Why wouldn't they? To do it would be an admission that they were the last, the least, the last. And they don't want to admit that. They're arguing constantly about which of them will be the greatest. It's hard to make your case for greatest in the kingdom of God when you're a foot washer. So that's one problem. The second is getting hung up. The other bank of all this is getting hung up on the spiritual lesson, which leads to endless discussion, but no actual practical serving. People become experts on what it would look like to serve and what it would feel like to serve and what they can tell you everything about serving, but they never serve. And so if it's this simple, here's what it looks like today. If you've never served, ask the Lord, what do you want me to do? Better, because you know you're going to do that, but then you'll be like, well, I didn't hear anything, so maybe he'll tell me tomorrow. No, here, here's, here's even better. When you get home and there's a bunch of dishes in the sink, you know, you don't have to ask your wife, would you like me to clean those for you? If they're in the sink, she'd like you to clean them. If there's anyone in the house who does that job all the time, someone volunteers to do it, it's like, oh my gosh, thank you. And then you're like, yeah, I'm pretty awesome. Yeah, you did it once. Then you, then, then you find out you're not that awesome. But the, the point is, if you want to bless your wife, wash the toilet. And you're like, the toilet? Ooh, I don't want to wash toilets. Who wants to wash toilets? Who thinks that's the greatest job in the world? Or, no one. But who wants to live in a house with dirty toilets? No one. So somebody's got to do the job. And it turns out most of us can't hire servants, so someone at home's got to do the work. And so in any case, we want to avoid these extremes. We don't want to get hung up on the example and, well, we foot wash in our church. And like, to what end? And then we don't want to get hung up on the spiritual lesson and not have it lead to actual serving. Remember, Mary, two weeks back, she sacrificed. Lazarus sat, which was a pretty big deal since he'd been dead and buried four days, now resurrected. And Martha was serving. And I mentioned then that something was missing in her serving. And the missing thing was she wasn't comparing or complaining. Earlier, she'd been guilty of both. And I do want to say, if you're going to serve or you're already serving, don't compare yourself with other people. Not because I say it, because God's word says those who compare themselves with one another aren't wise. So be wise and don't compare. It's not how am I doing compared to him or how am I doing compared to her or them? No, it's just, am I serving? Because the Lord's going to say, well done, good and faithful what? Servant. Yeah, we know. We're expecting to hear that in heaven. I wonder if it will sound right if we've never served. So our opportunity, by the way, to service now and here. And so I, I want to say in all honesty, if, if, if you're serving and you're comparing, that will lead to complaining. And if you're complaining, well, that's going to make people uncomfortable around you who are serving as well. And so if you're complaining in your service, the, what I don't want you is to think, well, okay, I understand. I should just not serve. No, you should stop complaining and serve. You should repent and serve. Since it happens to be Valentine's Day, I could not help but comment on this. Jesus' new commandment for us is to love one another. So husbands, I have some advice for you. We are commanded in Ephesians 5.25 to love our wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So how is that done? Well, there's no better way to understand how to love like Jesus than to act like him. 
In the first epistle of John, we're told that God is love. So how does God love? Well, I don't remember who first showed this to me, but to shed some light on this topic, I'm going to replace the word love with the word Jesus as I read to you 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Jesus suffers long and is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not parade himself. Jesus is not puffed up. Jesus does not behave rudely, and he does not seek his own. Jesus is not provoked, and he thinks no evil. Jesus does not rejoice in iniquity, but he rejoices in the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, and Jesus endures all things. Guys, don't expect perfection from yourselves, but this is a pretty good guide to start with. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.